I don't really know where to start with today's guest, as he's done and achieved so much in his life. Malcolm Knight served in the Metropolitan Police Force for nearly 30 years, and amongst his varied roles, he served as a uniform sergeant in the Diplomatic Protection Service, the Territorial Support Group, to instructor at the National Public Order Training Centre. He's been a script advisor to the long-running TV series The Bill, an instructor in personal safety to various airlines. But his true passion is when he's on the water, and the Thames is his second home. Not only has Malcolm achieved five world records for middle distance rowing, three on the Thames, he also went on to organise events for others to enjoy. Malcolm is Director of Thames Alive, the catalyst and umbrella organisation harnessing and promoting the River Thames, this unique organisation that draws together hundreds of public and private bodies that use the river, have put on several historic events, including the Thames Diamond Jubilee Pageant and the Olympic Torch Relay of 2012. Later this year, they're organising a stunning programme called To Be a Pilgrim, as part of the incredible Mayflower 400 celebrations not to be missed. Until recently, he was also events manager for the Queen's Royal Row Barge Gloriana for seven years. And that just scratches the surface, as he also recently appeared on Channel 5 series The Thames, Britain's Great River, with Tony Robinson. Sit back as Malcolm and I chat over the past, present and future of the glorious Thames overlooking beautiful Hampton Court. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Before we meet this week's wonderful guest, here's a little something for you. If you're a fan of the show and like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash Your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, today I'm delighted to have on the podcast uh, Malcolm Knight, and we are sitting here in the glorious, I think to give it its proper name, I'm looking at the title here, Ditton Skiff and Punting Club. Have I given it its correct title? You have indeed, yes, Steve. Not, not Thames Ditton. Just, no, just what? Ditton's Skiff and Punting Why Club. Why has it been abbreviated from Thames Ditton's? What's this? Um, I have no just, idea. Just, I think it's the, uh, the chap sat around a table in the local pub <laughs> nearly 100 years ago and... Uh, just came up with that name. Yeah. It's not even grammatically correct because it should be skiffing and punting club. Oh, okay. <laughs> too much of a mouthful. Well, we won't pull you up on the grammar. That's absolutely fine. It's probably <laughs> been like that for too many years. Well, I think you said it's 100 years coming up. Yes. Of, yeah, of the club. 23 will be 100 years old. Yeah. So what's your, you, you've been a member here for how long? Over 30 years now. Okay. Uh, I'm the president of the club now. Right. Um, part of the core team that worked to uh, build this wonderful clubhouse and facility back in, where are we, 95, I think it was. Um, and, yep, still doing a bit of skiffing, not competitive anymore, but uh, skiff racing. So so this building we're sitting in is relatively new? This yeah. Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it always on this site? Or what, uh, it no, it's, um, it was on uh, literally just about 50 yards downstream before um, in a semi-derelict cottage and uh, an old Nissen hut left over from the Second World War. And before that, it was a rather splendid clubhouse down in Thames Ditton Village. Well, it's an absolutely st- stunning location. Do you want to just explain where we are situated and what what, what we can see from where we well, are our here? Our view from here is the River Thames, um, immediately outside, obviously, because that's what we need for what we do. <laughs> yeah. And on the other bank is Home Park, 
And literally uh, a couple of hundred meters away, well, a few more than that, is Hampton Court Palace. Yeah, and I'm looking directly over your right shoulder at Hampton Court Palace and is absolutely glorious. And we're, we're very much blessed with the weather today because the last couple of days has been Storm Chiara, 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 Chiara or some, yes, something. Yes, she's, um, she's battered us with winds and dumped an awful lot of rainwater. So uh, the flow rate is unfortunately now up so high, so fast that we can't actually... Uh, you you were explaining before we started the, the flow rate and mm. whether that's safe or not to get out on the on the water. Just Just recap on what... Well, the flow of the the flow rate of the river is there's a gauge downstream from here uh, in Kingston, about two, three and a half miles away, and um, that measures the flow rate in cubic meters per second, which is about a ton of water per second going past that particular point. The river normally runs at between ten and fifteen, maybe twenty cubic meters a second. Today, it's uh, already well over two hundred cubic meters per second. Um, and a couple of years ago in the uh, floods, we, we did actually see it almost reach 500 tonnes a second. So, um, and already by now, the, the Environment Agency uh, lock keepers are what they call, they've, they've pulled all the gates, the, the locks, the weirs are all wide open. So River Thames is just free-flowing from top to bottom. Right. So does that mean you're... you're it's not legal to, to sail on the Thames Their today, advice is advisory. Their strong advice is all boats to seek safe moorings. Um, well, in fact, now it's in what they call red boards um, to, to moor up uh, and do not move on the river. And obviously, we have to look at our beloved health and safety, an agreement with the insurance company. And so we've set the uh, maximum limit in which our strong crews could go out at 200 cubic meters a second. So as they as of late last night, um, we won't be going out either today or um, judging by the weather forecast for the next few days, we'll be lucky if we get out on the river again until yeah. uh, late next week. I think it's going to be disappointing for you guys for the rest of this week anyway. Yeah. So, as I said, it's, it's lovely to have you uh, on the podcast. Um, and the reason I got introduced to you was through various uh, routes, but ultimately it was your connection with the river and work you are ultimately going to be doing, or I've no doubt you've started as in progress for the um, the Mayflower 400 celebrations. But I've said this many times on the podcast, and we've interviewed, I think, now roughly 80-odd guests in the 18 months or so we've been doing this. The River te- and it's not totally surprising, it shouldn't be surprising, but the number of themes, that the, the number of shows where the river is the theme that runs through the storyline of our London is, is quite incredible. It is what it's if you go right the way back to um, before Roman times, why London's where it is. Yes. I should point out to listeners that both uh, Malcolm and I <laughs> are, are struggling, struggling and suffering with, I don't know what you call it, man flu. It's, it's not the, uh, it's not no. the cor- coronavirus which is no, going around. Not. We've got Just this nasty little... Um, tickling cough. Tickling cough which is going around. So, you, so you'll have to excuse it. We'll, we'll try and edit out as much of it as we possibly can. But... Um, yeah, so going back to uh, yeah, the River Thames, London's where it is because uh, back in the day it was it was the first point at which people could actually get across the river. It wasn't too wide, too 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 deep, so they crossed. And then obviously little little um, towns grew up, and then obviously the Romans arrived, did their bit, uh, and so it went on. Yep, the uh, Norman Conquest, Tower of London was built. Um, and everything just grew and grew yeah. over the years. 
Um, obviously, the river was then controlled by Bazalgette building his um, embankment and huge sewer system, which is, again is a modern-day version being built at the moment as we speak. And so here we are, hundreds of years on, River Thames starts from here, about 120-odd miles uh, upstream at uh, Cricklade, flowing down through all the counties, and yep, one from here on down into the city, and then out the other side and on down to South End. South End Pier is classed as sort of the uh, other end of the river. Mm. Another guest I interviewed some time ago, a lady called Carolyn Steele, wrote a book called Hungry City. So it's, it's why London built up around the, the Thames as it did, because it's a tidal river, and they could bring in, you know, crops from further out and bring in imports and and it just grew and grew and grew from from there so you can check that podcast out as well but the thames to me i'm not a man of the water particularly but i do love being in close proximity to the thames it is just so stunning and this location is just absolutely beautiful i think i think the, i mean obviously being a maritime they say we are a maritime nation and i think whether it's you're on the coast looking at the sea which personally doesn't do a great deal for me but i just love being by the river as you say uh, messing around on the on the on the river and it's it's amazing when we the events that we'll talk about mm. shortly just how many people come out to to watch you know to be by the river to watch the boats they they just love it mm. and you know thousands of people have yeah. come out well You've had a, a fascinating history, <laughs> past, shall we say, Malcolm. I mean, we're not going to go into it all in detail, but it, it seems to that you started off your career in the Met. Yep. And you, you spent um, well, quite a few years in the Met as a, as a uniformed officer and then as in the diplomatic protection. I mean, that must have been quite good, interesting yeah, as well. Well, when I first joined back in the early 70s, one, one or two police stations handled the protection of all the embassies. Um, and I was at Kensington Police Station. And as a development from that, the Diplomatic Protection Group was started. Um, so they had a particular uh, group of officers who were trained to look after the embassies. So it, it did reduce the, the number of hours we spent standing, just standing outside them. Uh, we patrolled around in cars and on motorbikes. Quite a few of us were armed, and they're still doing it. Um, that hasn't changed very much. Were you, were you an armed officer? Uh, yeah, I carried yeah. a gun. Yeah. Um, for certain, some some of the embassies um, were deemed to be high risk, so the officers standing outside were, were armed, and as is still the case. But then I moved on and worked in the complaints investigation, or internal affairs, as the Americans would call it. We we frowned upon by your oh, colleagues. Yeah. I mean, oh, do yes, they hate yes. you as much as portrayed in the in the in the, <laughs> in the documentaries and the movies? Yes, it was quite laughable. I mean, if. Um, we worked with a, a detective uh, chief superintendent or superintendent and with two detective sergeants as a team predominantly. And then we would arrange to meet somewhere uh, at a, you know, a police station uh, to then go on to, to do interviews or whatever. But as soon as we walk in anywhere, they, people would identify us and conversations would stop. It was uh, yeah. really quite So were you primarily investigating like, cor corrupt officers? Yeah. yeah, allegations, serious allegations. Yeah against uh, police officers. What, what was the most serious uh, allegation you ever investigated? Without without naming names. Uh, gosh. Um, just the theme of it. There was uh, an animal activist group um, and the, the allegation was that police officers were uh, excessively violent uh, and were marking the demonstrators for later arrest uh -huh. um, by using ink. Um, but in fact, we found out that it was an ink bomb that had been thrown by <laughs> one of them, which had got on all the police officers and their 
truncheons, which there was right. then going back onto the. So it's you know, yeah, so interesting. But uh, no, a lot of other different investigations. Because it always makes for great stories, doesn't it? And great um, series, Netflix type. These sort of uh, police investigation bureaus and going in and uh, yes. Well, I, I mean, uh, when I, after I retired, we didn't touch on this, but I actually ended up as a um, an advisor on the bill. So I was involved with the TV program, The Bill, for uh-huh. t- nearly 20 years. It's not going anymore, is it? I think that's no, no, no. Um, no, it, uh, it did about 25 years. Yeah, um, had a good run. Yeah. I remember that. We watched it, you know, mm. religiously. Yes, yes. Um, but that's where, having been in internal affairs, I went to the uh, to territorial support group, or the riot squad, as some people would call it, um, and then into the public order training branch, um, where we used to train officers to take to d- deal with uh, major disorder and big events and then i got involved in officer safety training and introduced all the new handcuffs and truncheons which officers all over the country now use and that's that was the link into the bill we actually used the bill as a publicity uh, vehicle to tell everybody that policemen are going to be carrying new handcuffs <laughs> and new truncheons so were they used on the bill before they were put into real yeah real sun hill became a trial station sun hill, there were four it. real police stations and sun hill was the fifth <laughs> um, was it filmed sun hill wasn't a real station obviously no it's, it's a, a studio. Uh, it used to be it's uh it's a uh used to be a wine warehouse over in merton uh, it's still it's still the set is still there and uh-huh. still used by um uh free mental tv i think it is Thames television um for other because it like all film sets it's you know one minute you're in one office or room and you walk through a door and you're in the courtroom so anyway but it was it was great great fun interesting times and say when i retired i then became a full-time script advisor to the bill to the bill yeah advising them what on technicalities of policing everything the whole thing right from the storyline helping the script writers um write their, their their scripts and keeping it somewhere near reality um so when we have the uh the, the police being investigated by the, their internal complaints that that was you was it uh well no but, it, but everything i mean if there was a rape scene like uh, we would invo- we would arrange for the script writers to go to a rape suite to see it see how it worked or go to the fraud squad or go to the antique squad so wherever the storylines took them we i bet that was them. really interesting it was it was it was quite interesting i mean i I think it's fair to say well, there was one storyline that um, uh, the, the chief superintendent looked at a, himself of a photograph of him with the commissioner. And of course, the art department rang me up and said, well, how on earth are we going to do that, Malcolm? And I said, well, uh, either you use you know, modern technology, which was only just really getting there with you know a bit of superimposing on of making a photograph up, or the commissioner comes here or we go to the commissioner. I said, well, the second two, two aren't going to happen. I said, well, we'll see. Uh, two weeks later, there we were at Scotland Yard in the commissioner's office with our actors just to take a photograph. Of and he him. didn't mind. There was no objection to that. No. Well, again, that's what they employed us for because of our contacts. Yeah. In the, you know, we knew who to ring, how to ask. And uh, I thought yeah, you'd just get a lookalike or so. Yeah, super, as you say, superimpose something or yeah. get a lookalike actor. Or, mm. But no, fair enough. Make it as real as possible. Exactly. So, but that was another life. That, that's that's an completely other life you know, mm. from, from where we are now. But while you were working with the Met and you know doing that um, that work with the Bill, for example, were you, did you have a pre-existing interest in in the river per se? In the my Thames? first interest in the river was back in 
well, back in, actually when I was in the police cadets, back in the late 60s, early 70s, I trained for the devices to Westminster canoe race due to a situation with the, uh, the administrator. And then I didn't do the race uh, back in those times. But back in, in then in 1985, as an adult uh, paddler, um, I did do the race. So, yep, all the way from devices down the Kennet and Aden Canal to Reading, turn right and come down the Thames and finish at Westminster. Actually, that was the beginning of my crazy part of my life because I did the DW Easter weekend and then 10 days later uh, ran the London Marathon. One and only time. Uh, I'm far too big, of six foot five and at the time about 18 stone. Um, and uh, yeah, I made it round just over four hours and I was quite happy with that. But Very good. Two, two events like that within uh, 10 days. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I got it, that was my involved... I was actually out canoeing later that year in 85 when I met a chap just down the river from here in uh, Surbiton. And uh, he was delivering a, a, a Canadian canoe actually to uh, a, a youth training center. So I thought, oh, I'll give him a hand with that. Got chatting. He said, oh, no, I'm not a canoeist. I'm a skiffer. So I said, okay, what's a skiffer? And that, later that afternoon, I came to this derelict cottage in Thames Ditton and had a very nice cup of tea and cake, and was shown the boathouse with these lovely traditional Victorian-style wooden boats. And the rest, as they say, is history. Mm. Um, I came back down the following day and uh, started skiff racing. It, literally, literally as simple as that? You had no prior experience? No, in Never rode before. Uh, came down here and was taught how to, to skull. Uh, it's two oars, one in one each hand. Skips are... Either doubles with a cox or uh, cox with singles, and yes, yeah, some very um, patient members taught me how to uh, to scull, and uh, yeah, I, I uh, teamed up with a, a chap, uh, Kevin Thomas, and um, well, within about I think the next uh, two years, we'd um, beat you know got our one through to the senior level. Then we met the technicians and we started to lose. <laughs> but then so I then... You've got to, to lose before you win. You can, take, right. you can taste glory. You've got to know yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. At, uh, no, it's, it's fantastic. And um, it's just gone on from there, basically. Uh, but that was my first real involvement with the Thames. Hmm. Well, we're going to talk about some of the world records that you hold as well in a minute uh, and the work you're also doing on the Thames for the wider community. How does playing on the water as you call it how, how does that make you feel i mean how, how does that work for you personally you know spiritually mentally physically what, what are the benefits to you Steve, doing it's, it's it is it's good for my soul um a lot of us find that we go out there um i mean yes just sitting here on the lawn looking at the river can be very calming but to be out there scrolling along very gently just you know, blades slide in the water and come through and just leaving these lovely pattern of puddles behind you, sculling down the river um, any time of the day or night. Nighttime, night skipping is lovely as well. It's usually mirror flat. And it's, yes, I go out there sometimes just to calm down, let the trials and tribulations of <laughs> life and the world leave them behind in the, in the yeah. wake. I was very lucky when I finished my police career, I actually finished at Kingston, and I even used to row to work sometimes. Oh, I bet that was fun. Yeah. I mean, there's such a change, isn't it, um, in context of being in the police force in the Met hmm. and then 
being out on the river. Yes. You know, quietly, as you say, rowing and Well, yes, I mean, particularly when I was at the public order training branch, I'd spend all day supervising, um, effectively creating small riots and scenarios mm. and high, highly violent scenarios for the officers to help them with their training. And I'd come down here in the evenings and um, just go out on the river. Yeah. Wonderful. So um, let's touch on some of your world records then, <laughs> because you said you, you started to meet up with some of the big boys and start to lose a few races, but then uh, didn't take you long, does it, to sort of perfect the art and start to win some fairly big challenges? No, it was, well, there's a tr quaint tradition with the, within the skiffing fraternity to do what they call a meander, which is to row over three or four days from um, the navigable head of the river, Lechlade, down here to... Um, it's a non-tidal stretch. So Lech Lade is out sort of... Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire, yeah. To, to, to row over three or four days down to Teddington. And that's a meander, is it? That's a meander. <laughs> Meander's too too nice a word for that. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very... So I, I, I found myself in um, 1984 doing a meander with um, my then partner, my, my racing partner, Kevin. And um, I'd recently uh, met uh, a nice lady who... Ruth and uh, she came and she coxed us for three days, um, and uh, she was later to become my wife, long-suffering wife, <laughs> very supportive. So we did a meander. But I didn't realise that Kevin had given his son a copy of the Guinness Book of Records uh, as a present that previous Christmas, and in there was a a record for rowing from Letchlade to uh, South End. And Kevin, while we did this three-day meander added up the time it took us to row from lock to lock and we were having a beer or a drink after a few weeks later and he said if we kept going at the same speed malcolm all the way to south end we could actually beat that record so <laughs> so the seed was sown yeah, so the seed was sown <laughs> we spoke to uh, uh, another long-standing member and an oarsman simon leifer down here and three men in a boat uh, no dog uh, so in 1988, yep, we found ourselves at Letchley Bridge, and uh, 39 hours later, we arrived at South End Pier. What's the process for um, getting Guinness World Guinness Book of Records or the, whatever the organisation? What you do is you um, back then in 88, it was um, quite a small organisation, um, and it was quite friendly and, and we we said we want to do this and they said yep that's fine let us know what how it goes um submit your records and your statements afterwards it's changed a bit now because i was working with a squad of guys um to do a couple of records earlier this year i wasn't rowing and it's uh very different but um no that's what you did we said we we're going to do this they said well that's the record as it is you have a go at it. Let us know how you get on. But how do they monitor it? Because the the length of the race is <coughs> looking at your the paperwork is one hundred eighty six odd miles. Yes, they don't monitor it. They don't. Uh, they they, they ask that a um, suitable expert from your sport is the adjudicator. Uh -huh. So we had a chief umpire at the time um, from the racing skiff racing fraternity and others supervising the start and the finish are then meeting us at different places along the way and then we had to got we got statements from everybody else because we had about 60 odd people running around the countryside opening the locks for us and feeding right. us and stuff 
I just wonder, so they're checking you're not sort of nipping out and stopping off for a quick pint and then get well, jumping in the car. The and <laughs> when, 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 did you, when did you attach the, the outboard motor? Yes. Was, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they all did statements, and, and then you submit the whole thing, uh, statements and uh, chart of the times you take and then and photographs. Um, uh, because, obviously, back in those, that, that day, there was no GPS. You couldn't attach anything to show... Yeah, we've been. So that was the first of your world records in 1988. That's it. Beating the previous record by 24 hours. Uh, something like that. That's, yes. just, that's outrageous. Well, well yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, it had been set by a crew um, of firemen in um, a one ton whaler. So uh, okay. it doesn't matter which size boat. Um, we did it in one of our double skiffs from here, which is st still downstairs, still being used. Yeah, then we went on using uh, the Four Skull Skiff, which is downstairs. Um, you could say this is sort of London-based because we rode here, yeah. um, which is if we just stretch the boundary a couple of miles, uh, the, the London Borough of Kingston. So we're, we're just on, outside London. Where just we're outside sitting, where London we're here. Now. We rode up and down this particular reach nonstop for 24 hours. Extremely boring. I can say that must have been very tedious. <laughs> yeah. But uh, did that one. So that's another world record. Yeah, that was in 94. And then so, yeah, every couple of hours, it looked like every couple of years, somebody had a bright idea. Um, we then popped across the channel in two hours 42 in a waterman's cutter. And then some wag said, why don't we row to Paris? Well, I knew um, a police crew uh, or squad who'd done that a few years before. But in 99, we... Um, put a squad together of uh, chaps and 15 of us rotating three hours on three hours off uh -huh. and rode to Paris in just over four days um, what were you sailing in then or uh, that was in a waterman's cutter Cutters. so there was uh, six sculling and one cox uh -huh. um, but actually we go down the Thames turn right at North Foreland and Kent go go round to um, uh, Dungeness but on the way, we had force five winds, so we had two-meter waves oh. in the English Channel. So we had to spend a bit of time in Dover Harbour. But, uh, that's all included in the, in the uh, elapsed time. Right. Came out, rode down to Dungeness, turned left, go across to Dieppe. That takes you 24 hours. And you get to Le Havre, which is halfway. That's 240 miles. And then you go up the Seine, um, to Rouen, and you have to do that bit in daylight because it's you've got sh big ships there. And then we changed the configuration around within the squad, and um, we had four sculling and a cox at the time, so five in a boat. So we had three crews, and we actually ended up racing each other, Steve. <laughs> after 300 miles of rowing, <laughs> we were doing time trials up to, up to Paris. Fantastic. It must be a wonderful feeling when you... I mean, oh. do, do you know you've actually secured the the, um, the world record when you when you land? Well, you know you've beaten the record because yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously you've got the time yeah. to beat. But then when you have to do all of verified. that submission. Yeah. You don't actually find out for about six months oh, afterwards. It That's a bit take, of a downer, isn't it? It can take about six yeah. months for the paperwork to go through. And then the, the actually in 2004, the club, um, another squad from the club wanted to get the record back for the River Thames because somebody else had the temerity to beat it. Um, so they, they went off and um, in a different boat, but it was skiff-like craft and they did the length of the Thames again. Um, and the time now, by then was down to uh, 29 hours. And then I had a complete brain, brainstorm, and in 2005, 
I did the single non-stop row from Letchlade to Gravesend, which is 165 miles on my own in a skiff. Um, what, what prompted that uh, uh, well, aberration? Well, a bit like, you know, why do you climb mountains? Yeah, it's um, there. Because it's there. Yeah. Somebody else had done it. He was in a fine boat, fine single skull. But I reckon that I could beat it, beat his time. And uh, sure enough, I did. I, I did the 165 miles in 43 hours, 40 minutes, uh, beating the previous record by 16 hours. That's remarkable. And, uh, and does that record still stand? Uh, yes, it does. Yes. Well done. Um, so I'm talking to a world record holder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. One girl named Irichi's, um Paralympian has set the ladies' record uh, in recent years. Uh, fortunately, she was five hours slower than me, uh, but no, no men have had a go at it. How does a world record holder celebrate? Or is it a silly question? Is, uh, is it the obvious you eat lots and go and sleep lots for, for about a week. <laughs> Are you exhausted after that? Yeah. Is it really taking yeah. it out of you? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, fantastic achievement. And I couldn't, couldn't achieve it ever without a huge team of uh, friends and supporters from the club um, running around, opening the locks, feeding me, slapping me on the back of the head and keeping me going. Is, is that literally nonstop or do you have yes. time to pull over and have a uh, well, sort of the, banana or there something? There are 45 locks. <laughs> Yeah. So you have to go through the lock. So that's your your rest. That's your eating time, is it? That's your eating yeah. massage time. I had a stop um, after 60 miles at uh, Leander Club at Henley. I had a quick massage. But again, all that time is part of it. And another one here. I think they let me have a five-minute sleep here at some point. <laughs> but uh, that well, was it. They're, they're remarkable achievements. Um, how old were you at your last one? Yeah, I was crazy. Uh, yeah, you think at the uh, age of 50. 53 i'd, I'd, I'd yeah. know better but uh yeah that's no, fantastic I, I, but now i just help other people do it I <laughs> you've given up on the idea of any more world record no, attempts no, no, not for me not personally for you but, You're uh, just train other people let's take a very quick break just to remind you if you love the show and would like to get involved grab some cool stuff get shout outs on the show have us create your very own london legacy show or you meet up with us in london for a coffee or something stronger just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. Well, you don't sit on your laurels, having said that, uh, <laughs> physically or mentally or any other way, because you're involved in so many other things. And one of the things I specifically wanted to talk to you about today is your involvement in this wonderful organization called Thames Alive. Just tell us a little bit about what Thames Alive is all about and why you set it up ultimately well it was, it was set up by uh peter warwick god rest his soul roger mutton uh stuart wolf who are um the kingpins of the great river race myself and a few others with the idea of bringing back great ceremonial rowing events onto the river thames and enjoying and you know and bringing attention back to the thames predominantly in london when you say bringing attention back to the thames did you have a feeling that the Thames wasn't getting the sort of fair share of the limelight? Um, well, we were feeling that you know, back in the day, when you look at the history books, I mean, obviously back in Tudor times, the roads were so bad, so that all the events took part on the river. That changed um, when the river became so polluted in the 1850s. Everybody went onto dry land for their events, and we just wanted to utilise uh, the wonderful stage that the Thames is, running right the way through the centre of London with all its bridges and embankments where people can watch and enjoy events. And we sort of, the best way of doing that is to bring back or encourage 
rowing events and predominantly in traditional boats, um, fixed seat, wooden or fiberglass boats of all shapes and sizes. So the first event that um, Peter and the team put together was the reenactment of the Nelson Funeral Flotilla in 2005. Personally, on that one, I was purely a cox. I was a participant. But then um, in 2009, we, working with Historic Royal Palaces, they wanted to celebrate the um, 500th anniversary of Henry VIII's ascension to the throne. And by then, I'd already become the secretary of the Thames Traditional Rowing Association. A bit of a mouthful. But that's the association of um, the city of London livery companies who own Waterman's Cutters. They're a modern-day version of the traditional Thames cutter used by the watermen to uh, get the um, pilots out to the old sailing ships when they were coming into into London. And I was organising the, the events for them. And one of those that they do each year is the Tudor Pool, which is an event for the Royal Watermen to row from Hampton Court Palace to the Tower of London. So in 2009, for the, the Historic Royal Palaces, we turned that around and uh, rode Henry VIII, effectively, from the, T- the Tower of London up to Hampton Court Palace. And, uh, yep, we had hundreds of oarsmen uh, out there and women in boats of all shapes and sizes. And they're all dressed in the traditional uh, costume? No, they no not on that um, one? <laughs> I saw one with Anne Boleyn. That was, a, that was a different one, but um, certainly Hen- the, at Hampton Court Palace, they have um, actors from past pleasures who take on the role of Henry VIII and his court and on a daily basis. And the actors uh, on this day, Hen- the actor playing Henry uh, and his entourage, say, paraded from the Tower of London onto the Queen's shallop, jubilant, and other uh, boats. The, What's a shallop? Explain uh, a shallop. It was a 32-foot long wooden rowing boat uh, with uh, eight oarsmen or women uh, with a small saloon cabin. Um, it was the, um, well, of the day, I mean, if you couldn't afford a royal barge, you had the next size down was a shallop. So it's your sort of, uh, it was the um, upper class run around if you like right so it's not your four by four it's your uh saloon. no no, no. <laughs> so yeah, that was jubilant was made uh and presented to the queen i think i'm right in saying for the uh silver jubilee and the trust still the jubilant trust still run it and they take uh, disabled children rowing down in richmond and it comes out and does various events so tudor pool was the one at the time and then uh they so from london Jubilant was escorted by the livery company Cutters in their full regalia as well, and then joined by dozens of skiffs and other traditional boats at Teddington Lock and rode on up here to Hampton Court Palace. So that's where there's the crossover, Steve, is the planning for major events um, and working. I didn't actually write them, but the, the, um, the plans for big events in the police force. So I found myself using that skill and that... Uh, knowledge and experience to write the master plan for these big events on the river yeah and the biggest being would you say the diamond jubilee well yes yes <laughs> so tell <laughs> yes. us about that the thames diamond jubilee pageant i well, mean that must have back in, I, I, I recall seeing that that was an amazing yes. uh, event um well back well basically in 2007 
uh, then chairman Peter uh, Peter Warwick put in a paper to through a contact to the palace uh, Buckingham Palace suggesting that we maybe it'd be wonderful to do something on the River Thames for the, the Diamond Jubilee in 2012 and we like to think that that was the the seed that was sown because then it would appear some conversations went on between Prince Charles uh, and, uh, and 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 the palace about doing something and ultimately the the idea was taken up by city hall and the then mayor of london a certain chap called boris johnson ah i remember him that's right (laughs) whatever happened to him (laughs) well no idea um but yeah the idea grew and grew and ultimately the um the idea was given to the thames festival uh to actually create uh, they, then the idea was to have a thousand boat flotilla. So initially, Thames Alive, we found ourselves then as advisors to them on the rowing boats that might take part. Because again, through Stuart and Roger's work with the Great River Race, we know how fast, or they know how fast the the boats can go. And we, obviously, they had all the contacts with all these people who had all these wonderful um, traditional boats. So, okay, we were happy with that to be still be involved. And, yep, we, you know, we were supporting the, the festival with creating this wonderful flotilla. And it was in, I think if I remember rightly, it was in February. I was going with the chairman and he became the pageant master on the day, Adrian Evans. He and I were going to the Australian High Commission to talk to them about the surf boats that they were going to be bringing. And as we crossed the pavement in the Aldwych, he said, oh, by the way, Malcolm, can you actually organise the 300 rowing boats? And needless to say, I said, of course, Adrian, it would be a pleasure. So that's what we did. Thames Alive um, took it on. Uh, Roger and I went to numerous meetings and we poured over all the applicants and worked out which boats could maintain the f- four to five knots that they were going to have to do. And on the day, um, the master plan had been sent out and we, all the boats launched from the various launch sites upstream of Hammersmith. Uh, came down and some more at Putney. And, yep, that wonderful moment when Gloriana, the Queen's Road Barge, came out and started to drop her oars. I got to call to 300 boats, okay, let's go for a paddle. And off we went, watched by millions of people on the bank and obviously many millions around the country on TV. And the Queen was on the Gloriana at the time? Nope. No. Um, no, that's another story. Back then in uh, about 2009, we'd been a, uh, approached by Lord Sterling, who'd been, appro- been asked by Prince Charles, to could he see about possibly creating or b- finding a barge for the Queen for the Diamond Jubilee or something on the river? And we said, well, you need to speak to uh, a boat builder in Richmond, Mark Edwards. He built the Jubilant, and he builds traditional rowing boats. Lord Sterling did. Mark produced some drawings. Well, the long and the short of it is that uh, eventually, in November 2011, the keel was laid to build a wooden traditional barge for Her Majesty the Queen for the Diamond Jubilee. The barge was built in five months and launched in April 2012 and presented to Her Majesty the Queen on the day she uh, she went to reopen Cutty Sark. So this is where all these strands start mm. to weave together. Yes, Gloriana was never going to be big enough to take the royal party 
for the Diamond Jubilee because um, they come with huge entourage, security, medical, everything else. So it was the decision was made she would be on the Spirit of Chartwell, the much bigger hotel boat, uh, which was obviously suitably decorated. But Gloriana would lead the flotilla. And so that was the golden row barge, which led the 300 man-powered squadron at the front and the other, with the other 700 motorboats behind. Was that the day with the terrible weather, when it poured with rain? It, it <laughs> always rained. Yeah, but I've got vague recollection of her standing there with Philip behind her and then chucking it down under this canopy. That's right. Yeah. Well, we, 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 we actually called it Gloriana weather because the day that Gloriana was launched, it poured with rain. The day that it was the barge was presented to Her Majesty the Queen in April, it poured with rain. And obviously, yes, that terrible, lovely, well, wonderful day in June, again, it poured with rain. Um, I like to say it didn't rain on our parade. Um, it didn't start raining until the 300 rowing boats got to Tower Bridge. But then it absolutely threw it down. It must but, have been wonderful to be involved in something like that and see it come to fruition. Yes. For such a high status event. Yes. I mean, just behind you is a photograph of the 300 boats coming down past HMS Belfast, yes. going under Tower Bridge. Uh -huh. And to be part of that. And um, where were you stationed at that particular I time? I was on a boat um, as a, laughingly called the um, uh, an umpire for the whole thing, trying to keep some semblance of control. Um, Did it all go according to plan? Did anything go horribly wrong? Any um, no, it, it went it went to plan. Nothing uh, sank, nothing crashed? No, nothing sank. <laughs> we, we even had four or five uh, what you call sweeper boats, motorboats at the back. So if any of the um, man-powered squadron couldn't keep keep up the speed, once they got to the PLA launch um, there at the stern of the, the back of the flotilla, they were then taken in tow. There was one there, uh, a lovely gondola owned by Lord Fillimore, and uh, he was most upset that he got taken in tow because, unfortunately, uh, he couldn't maintain the speed any longer. But um, he forgave the skipper and crew because he, uh, I understand, he took them out for lunch <laughs> a few days later. And how do you prevent any sort of um, pleasure boats sort of joining in and oh, sort well, of launching from there? Well, the Port of London Authority run the River Thames from the London Stone, which is just below Teddington Lock, all the way down to the estuary. And basically that day they closed the river. The river was shut. Every boat had to have registered. They were given a number. And that obviously the man-powered squadron, their number was M and then whatever. And they went through the canal boats and the motor boats and the, all sorts of different craft. They all had their own number. They all had to have a flag. And everybody on board each boat had to have a security wristband. So there's a huge master plan put in place with phenomenal help from the Port of London Authority. Uh, the then Harbour Master David Phillips um, and his team, we had numerous huge meetings to work it all out. We had our own group of safety boats just for our flotilla. And obviously the RNLI were out there looking after everybody else. So, as David once said, there wasn't a plan on plan before, but there's now a plan on the shelf. Should anybody else ever think of doing something like yeah. that again? It must have been a huge relief when it all went off smoothly, because I'm guessing the the um, the percentage chance of something going horribly wrong is, is fairly fairly high. Well, yes, we did, like and then obviously the big discussion was what happens, what if yeah. something happens yeah. to Her Majesty the Queen? She was going to be 300 rowing boats. And then the 60 
uh, sea cadet uh, boats uh, representing with the carrying the flags of the um, Commonwealth countries, and then Her Majesty. And the plan was that if something happened, the call would go out, and it would be like the parting of the the, the sea, in, in biblical terms. The flotilla would all part, and Spirit of Chartwell would go off at full steam ahead to get Her Majesty or and the group uh, to a, a shore as quickly as possible. But when you saw that flotilla going off down river, I remember thinking to myself, there's no way we're going to be able to stop this lot. And uh, sure enough. But it must have given you a great sense of pride and joy seeing that flotilla oh, sort of approach. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic pleasure. I mean, it was a real tearjerker moment, even just calling for them to uh, start rowing. Did you get introduced to the royal party? Did you have a chance um, to meet them? Not then. Uh, there was a, a, a meeting afterwards um, at St. James's Palace with Prince Charles, um, and I got a very nice letter from him, from his office as well, thanking me. Not, not knighted or anything? No, uh, no, <laughs> no, no, unfortunately. <laughs> Others who helped with the build of Gloriana did. Yeah. Uh, they got their, uh, their knighthoods. So you're still involved with the Gloriana to this day? I then, well, this is it. Again, Thames Alive and working with the Thames Traditional Rowing Association, we'd put a paper into LOCOG that a traditional boat should carry the Olympic flame. Sorry, LOCOG, you have to. Sorry, London, the Olympics. Oh, right, yeah. A, a traditional boat should carry the Olympic flame into London for the Olympics in 2012. And they said, yeah, nice idea, but on what? Because we looked at the jubilant, the shallop, and everything else. But then we took them along to see Gloriana being built, and they said, yep, that's the boat that should carry the Olympic flame. So again, I found myself organising the last day of the Olympic torch relay. You seem to say yes to a lot of these big, big projects. Well, it was almost sort of <laughs> right place yeah. or wrong place, right time, yeah. whichever way you want yeah. to look at it. Let's do a world record. Let's organise the Olympics. Yeah. Let's, let's organise the... Yeah. Well, again, with the Olympics, it was a small world. Obviously, I knew... Uh, the people who in the police force, the Met, who were organising the security of the torch relay. So that door was wide open when I needed it to be. Yep, wrote the plan, and it, yep, it all came to fruition. So after the Diamond Jubilee, uh, a special holder was made for the cauldron to be mounted on the bowels of Gloriana. And again, a bit, obviously the, the crowds for the Diamond Jubilee were just absolutely incredible every balcony flat surface on the riverbank was just packed i was going to meetings about the torch relay and people were saying well how many people will come I, said, well, I have no idea at all well on the day gloriana had been tucked away in a, a backwater just down from here at a friend's house uh, but early in the morning i dropped my wife off at hampton court to uh, organize the crew of olympians that we'd uh, we'd got put together and there were already hundreds of people hanging around on the riverbank. And so, well, what are they here for? And, yep, sure enough, when the uh, Gloriana, uh, the Matt Pinsent came out with the flame, lit the cauldron on Gloriana, yet the bank was absolutely jam-packed on both sides, people standing in the river. And, yep, so started the second wonderful, incredible flotilla of 2012. Yeah. I mean, in consecutive months. I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? Doing, doing it twice. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't think. I don't think we ever sat down and said, "Do we realise we're we're writing ourselves into doing these two of these things in one year, back to back?" Yeah, remarkable. Two remarkable occasions in mm. quick succession, which um, 
will live long in the memory. And uh, I think you can find them online. They look mm. on YouTube. Find yep. sort of yeah, the, there's the video no, footage. No. I mean, yes, there's plenty on our on Thames Lives website. But obviously, as mm. you say, if you Google uh, Torch Relay and uh, yeah, the Gloriana yeah. will come up. And then I think that the last one you did was for the Magna Carta. Yeah, um, yeah. 800 year of the Magna Carta in 2015. Yeah, again, we sat down and said, well, there's a wonderful uh, anniversary coming up. What are we going to do about it? And we managed to persuade Windsor Maidenhead Council to support it, partly because obviously they control Runnymede, where Magna Carta was sealed. Um, and we created a two-day um, flotilla down the Thames. Gloriana was the herald boat on the first day with a flotilla uh, at each on each different reach with a replica of Magna Carta being carried on jubilant. And then on the second day, one of the actors again, past pleasures actors from Hampton Court playing King John, he arrived in due splendor at Runnymede. He was met by um, the bishops and the, and the barons and taken into a tent where he was encouraged to put his seal on the modern-day version of the Magna Carta. And again, yes, we created a phenomenal, you know, fantastic day on the river for everybody in all their rowing boats from all over the country, seen by thousands of people on the bank. And bringing us bang up to date, yes. you're doing another one. I mean, now we're talk we've had several podcasts on this. This is the celebration of the 400 years since the Mayflower set sail to the promised land, to, uh, to the new world. Um, September this year, I think it is, isn't it? So you're celebrating, or you're creating your own celebration now of um, Mayflower 400. There's some very special events going on. So t tell us about well, what, what, we're you, trying, what you're doing. Again, we, um, we realised that nationally, um, a lot of importance, and, and rightly so, um, was going to be celebrations of, the Car of Mayflower was going to be based around Plymouth which is obviously the final place mm. that the Mayflower set off from to cross over to, uh, as you say, found that to, uh, to land in the, in the new world. But the reality is that a lot of it, the, well, the whole trip was effectively paid for by the City of London. Indeed, and if you listen to a podcast we've just done with Simon Target, author of New World Inc., you will understand that it was all, nearly all funded through the, uh, through the London... That's um, right. And Mark Wheatley as Mark, well. The yeah, City, Mark Wheatley, the City of London Corporation. Yes. Yeah. So we thought, well, hang on a minute, we should be doing something on the River Thames. Absolutely. So one of the, uh, one of again, Roger Mutton, he spoke to some people we know at uh, the Stationers Company, and they they agreed they've agreed to um, produce a vellum scroll with a welcome message, basically, from uh, the Parliament here to the Parliament over there. Quite simple. Just being well, Congress in the States. Yeah, we'll yeah. go to the yeah. House of Representatives House of in the yeah. States. And the idea is that uh, we'll get the Speakers of the House of Commons and or the Speaker of the House of Lords just to sign this as a, a greetings and, and celebration of the 400 years of uh, a link between us. And then that scroll will be presented to, uh, well, carried from the Palace of Westminster, House of Parliament, downriver, and we had hoped to get a tall ship in, but unfortunately, uh, Jubilee Sailing Trust uh, can't join us. So we've got a, the last of the uh, East Coast fishing smacks, Excelsior, is coming in. So a lovely large ship with lovely big sails. She'll be moored in Rotherhithe, just where the Mayflower 
was moored 400 years before. She's a sail training uh, craft. Uh, they take youngsters on board, and the hope is that they will have youngsters do the trip round from Harwich, coming into London, and then the school trips on board, hear the story of, Magna, of, of Mayflower 400. And then, yep, the scroll will be carried down with due pomp and circumstance, possibly on Gloriana, but certainly with um, the livery company's cutters. Uh, that'll all be on the Friday, the 4th of September. There'll be a little ceremony. We'll create a ceremony down there in Rotherhithe. And obviously, again, all those boats will be rowed off down to then do the Mayflower 400 Great River Race the following day. That's the race that runs now from from Greenwich up to Ham House, 22-mile marathon the River Thames. Um, every year, it's the 33rd year this year, it's been raced. And this one will be the Mayflower 400 Great River Race. So all the boats that take part on the Friday will be taking part in the in that race. And there's hundreds of boats that take part in well, that race. Yes, yeah, 300 boats of all shapes and sizes. And they've actually got two crews coming over from America, from mm. Massachusetts, to, Fantastic. to take part. So I imagine that's going to be an absolutely splendid event. Uh, and the turnout, weather permitting, of course, will be probably just as big as some of the previous ones you've done. Yep. Well, we hope that, uh, again, people will hear about, and obviously this is a wonderful opportunity for us to publicise yeah. the flotilla on the Friday the 4th. Uh, it'll be in the afternoon, and then uh, Saturday morning, the 5th, for the Great River Race. And that, that afternoon, um, when the tide turns, Excelsior will set sail and go off down the river. I have to say that this scroll will magically... Um, be taken from Excelsior and magically appear in America. And <laughs> flown first class. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Again, through wonderful contacts. Yeah. Um, and will be presented then to the Speaker of the House of Representatives. But you, you mentioned, I think, which is really important as well, that some of the local kids, maybe some of the less advantaged, shall we say, kids from the local area, from rather high than Southwark area, will be hopefully allowed to sail on the ship as it goes off? Yes, on its, certainly. On its, on its uh, there's, there's a couple of opportunities here. That, as I say, they'll be running trips um, onto the Excelsior with um, actors on board again telling the story of Mayflower. And then, yes, for some local youngsters to take part in the trip going off down the Thames. But also working in parallel with us is the Challenger Trust, um, who are raising funds to actually get a, a tall ship um, and sail that across the Atlantic about the same time. Unfortunately, obviously, that will take a few weeks. Um, so we want to get the scroll over there uh, before they arrive. But yeah, the, the big thing is to, as we did with um, Magna Carta, to tell the story to local youngsters, local people, about the, what the story behind these historical events, which, you know, in some cases you could say are sort of slipping into the murky past, where we just want to bring them back, bring them to life, uh, and bring the uh, out on the Thames and bring the Thames back to life. When you set up Thames Alive or got involved with Thames Alive when it first started, did you ever envisage it would take on this sort of uh, all-encompassing project management at all these massive No, no events? idea at all with that, Steve. I mean, as I said, I touched on it. Um, it led to me being the events manager for the Queen's Row Barge for seven years. Um, 
I've only recently, well, a year ago, stepped away from that. But So the robotic again being Gloriana. Gloriana, yeah. Yep. yeah. I organized everything that that did for seven years. So, so uh, what did that entail? What sort of journeys did she go on? Or well, voyages? You know, things like Lord Sterling said to me at the end of 2012, of course, we need to get the boss on board, Malcolm. Said, Sorry? And he said, well, Her Majesty. So I put a plan together to for an afternoon tea cruise at Windsor bottom of the garden and the message came back from Buckingham Palace one would like to do that so there we were uh, the barge had been up at uh, the Royal Barge had been up at Henley Royal Regatta and uh, she came down uh, to moor locally and then on the day in 2013 we actually got all of the well there are only 22 Royal Watermen we had the Queen's Barge Master um, and 19 of the Watermen there that day uh, in their full regalia, the, the beautiful red tops with, with gold thread. They'd had a practice paddle in the morning, and then Her Majesty stepped on board with uh, the Prince Andrew. Uh, Prince Philip was not well that day, unfortunately. Prince Andrew was on board, Prince Edward and the Countess of Wessex, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, and the Duke of Kent. Um, one security officer and the maitre d' from... Waterside Inn, who was supplying the tea. <laughs> and a hey, lovely sunny day, fortunately. And they rode up and they went up the backwater or the weir stream to Eton, and just by Eton College, uh, where the barge turned, tea was taken, and they came back and then moored up again. I take and, it you weren't, you didn't partake of the tea. No, no. I was on board um, a, a lovely launch owned by great friends at the Lavericks, on a launch on, on Verity with um, Lord Sterling and one of the other trustees, Sir Steve Redgrave, uh, watching and sort of controlling. We had security personnel. Uh, some of them were walking the river bank, but others were actually tucked away on some very nice traditional river cruisers that, again, people I know are fortunate enough to own, rather than being in black rubber inflatables. Um, so it was all very discreet. And uh, the river was still open, um, there's a there's a photograph of a little narrow boat had just come out of the lock at Windsor, and as they came down, they suddenly realised that they were passing Her Majesty the Queen um, on board Gloriana. But so an amazing day um, up there at Windsor. But yes, all of the other events, putting together school children to row at Gloriana Achievers Days, or days down at Putney where we invite schools and clubs to put a crew on board everything uh, just involved in organizing all these events up and down the thames a lot of them through central london um so the annual tudor pool in the spring and other events which just bring the river to river thames to life it's fantastic once again we're at the point in our conversation with today's guest malcolm knight of um his favourite places in London. It could be on the river. Who knows? Let's find out what Malcolm's uh, got to say. Um, well, if I'm in town, I do obviously yes, just go down by the river. Uh, Tower Bridge, Tower of London. It's always wonderful just to sit there and watch the river going by, watch obviously thousands of tourists. But I love to pop into St. Catherine's Dock. Um, it's lovely. Yeah, again, another little quiet backwater in central London. Again, to look at the boats and just go and have a cup of coffee. But again, obviously, beautiful places to go. Um, St. Paul's Cathedral. 
Well, I've been fortunate enough, if you can ever get in, to have a look in some of the livery halls, the Waterman's Hall um, or into Trinity House, these lovely old buildings where the, the traditional traditions of London basically come from. And obviously Guildhall, the, the museum there, anyone can go. It's all free. Yeah. Uh, and see where... And they've currently got the Magna Carta grew. on display there as well, I believe. The Magna Carta. Yeah, yes. Magna Carta's on display. Somewhere in there is a picture as well. Of, yeah. uh, the, other, the other one I've been fortunate enough to go to on a number of occasions is Mansion House. So but the, I say the main thing is to go and sit down by the river, uh, either at St. Catherine's or the Tower of London, and just uh, watch old Father Thames come yeah, gently I bobbing by. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And on a beautiful day like today... What better thing to do? Well, it's wonderful to have had you on the podcast. It's absolutely um, amazing stories, both personally of your personal achievement and of the, the, the wider work that you're doing here with, uh, with Thames Alive. Um, if people want to find out some more about how they can get involved or, or find out about the Mayflower 400 regatta, if that's the right word for it, that's going on um, in September, where can they find out some more about that? That would be uh, the moment on either Mayflower 400 London website or on thamesalive.org.uk website um, and say so there'll be information there or on our Facebook page um, and obviously nearer the time uh, we'll, I'm sure I don't personally do it but there'll be those putting out tweets and the like as well yeah well let's put it out now I mean we'll, we'll also put it on our uh, social media but um, the, the dates for your diary are Friday the 4th and Saturday the 5th of uh, September um, so stick that in your calendar now as I have done as well because it's going to be an amazing uh, couple of days uh, of celebration and if you love the Thames as, as, as much as I do and certainly as much as uh, as Malcolm does it's going to be an opportunity not to be missed see hundreds of uh, people and all the colour and pomp and ceremony of that at that occasion and also linking us with the, the Mayflower 400 you know the link with America which um what do they say? We've got a special relationship, I think they say. I think, yeah, I think we do. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you wonder this will encourage any sort of um, economic trade relations to improve? <laughs> as long as we don't have to row over there, as some people do. <laughs> they just finished the Atlantic row. But uh, yeah. No, yeah, 4th and 5th of September, the river will be alive with boats both yeah. in the afternoon of the 4th and the morning of the 5th. Yeah. So apart from that, I would say apart from that, was I talking to you? You've got so many things up your sleeve. <laughs> Anything else you got lined up? I know you've no more um, world records. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, I've, I've worked with another crew who uh, went up to uh, Scotland and set a record on uh, Loch Ness earlier this year. And they've done another row on the, uh, on the English Channel. So uh, you never know. Somebody else, I'm sure somebody else will. A conversation in a bar somewhere will come up and yeah. we'll uh, dream up something else. Well, as you said before, you're not one to rest in your laurels. <laughs> so it, it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Malcolm. Keep up the brilliant work that you and your colleagues are doing uh, to shine a light on the Thames as if it needs it. But there's plenty of dull, boring commercial stuff that goes on on the Thames. So th this is really really brings it all to life. And the Thames is the heart and soul of uh, of London. It is. Steve. Thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Look. Thank you. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription 
opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities only available via, via Patreon. I do hope you will continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. <laughs>